Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I'm here with you on what is, for me, unbelievably already, the last week of the Great Fast, at least in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. The last week of the Great Fast, the Lent, the flowering of repentance. And in the Byzantine Church, I say that this is the last week because at the end of this week, which is Lazarus Saturday, which we read the great gospel of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. After that, we begin Great Week, also known as Holy Week, or the Week of the Bridegroom. And that is in our calendar, the Byzantine calendar, a separate week. In the Latin rite, Lent goes into that Holy Week, whereas in the Byzantine rite, it's a separate week. In fact, Holy Week, the Week of the Bridegroom, or oftentimes also called Great Week. So we always have multiple names for things in the Byzantine Church. <laughs> Great Week, the Week of the Bridegroom, Holy Week. That was actually the original, original fast. It was a week before the candidates for baptism would be baptized in the church on Holy and Great Saturday. And this was the tradition in the church East and West. It was always the day for a baptism. And still is, actually. Admirably, it's especially that way in the Latin Rite Church. Lots of baptisms that go on on that evening, the Easter Vigil. It's technically that's still that way in the Eastern churches as well, although there isn't as many baptisms usually that go on on Holy Saturday at the Easter Vigil. But it still is the place for that. So we start a special week at the end of this week in the Byzantine calendar, the week of Great Week, of Holy Week, Week of the Bridegroom. And that fast got expanded, that one week of preparation for those to be baptized, got expanded into the what we call the Ninevite fast, because it came from the Bible, the book of Jonah, where they fasted for 40 days, so that God would hold back his hand of chastisement that they deserved. And so that became then what we know today as the Lenten fast. So it's the Lent is actually about two different fasting periods put together. Holy Week, and the 40-day fast, the Ninevite fast. But before that, we focused on two ascetical people, and they were both young. In our day and age, 
Well, it's actually that way in every age. We worry about the younger generation. I always get a kick out of reading things like from St. John Chrysostom, where he's complaining about the younger generation. If you were to read what he wrote back in the fourth century, you would think it was today with maybe a few details missing. I mean, he didn't mention things like cell phones and so on, but he mentioned sort of the same kinds of principles, the same kind of dismay or concern about the younger generation. It seems like it's that way for every generation, but maybe it is more so today. Let's face it, we're having unprecedented things happening in our day and age, and young people sometimes can seem to the older generation to be, well, immature, irresponsible, not headed in the right direction, and they oftentimes worry about them. They oftentimes roll their eyes, refer to the younger generation, or you young people, you don't understand. But at the same time, through history, and this is something that is always remarkable for me, throughout salvation history, I've noticed that when God wants to get the job done, he does call upon, more often than not, young people. Not always, but so often. Many of the great prophets, the great saints that we read about and learn about, and of course, first among them is the Virgin Mary, a young maiden who herself turned history, turned earth on its axis by becoming the mother of Jesus Christ. Imagine a young maiden being the one that would turn reality, turn the earth on its axis, turn history around. And she was a young girl. But we have other examples too. In particular, the last two, as I mentioned, that are ascetical, in other words, they're monastics, that we focus on in our calendar last Sunday and now this Sunday as well. This Sunday is the Sunday of St. Mary of Egypt. Last week, we focused on St. John Climacus, and they both had tremendous conversions at young ages where they became very, very holy, very, very ascetical. And of course, ascetical means they prayed and fasted very intensely fasted very harshly, had very, very, very hard lives that they imposed on themselves for the sake of God, the sake of their own holiness. We mentioned last week it was the day of St. John Climacus. And St. John Climacus, Climacus means like a ladder. In other words, like where we get the word climbing, Climacus. And he's called the St. John of the Ladder because he developed, at the request of other people, a book on the stages of the spiritual life. And there's about 30-some stages. It's like climbing a ladder from greater and greater holiness. And this became one of the hallmark books of spirituality, St. John Climacus' Divine Ladder. He came from an unknown place. I'm going to read about him from the Synaxarian. This is a wonderful set of books that gives the history and commentary about the saints of each day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I recommend that every household has this, and they read from it, especially at supper time. Gather for one meal and read from the Synaxarian. It says here that the famous author of the latter came from an unknown place to Mount Sinai. He came as a 16-year-old boy and remained there. Now, how many 16-year-old boys go off to a monastery today and remain there for the rest of his life and become holy and write a great book on spirituality? Well, St. John came there first as a novice and as a hermit, and finally as an abbot of Sinai, until he died at the age of 80 in about 649 AD. His biographer, the monk Daniel, says of him, he brought his body up to Mount Sinai, but his spirit he brought to the Mount of Heaven. He spent 19 years in obedience to his spiritual father, Martyrios, Anastasius of Mount Sinai, who saw John once as a young man, foretold that he would be abbot of Mount Sinai. 
After the death of his spiritual father, John took himself off to a cave where he lived for 20 years in strict asceticism. His disciple, Moses, fell asleep one day in the cool shade of a huge rock. John was at prayer in his cell, and perceiving that his disciple was in danger, began to pray for him. Moses came up to him later, fell to his knees, and began to thank him for saving him from certain death. And he related how he had heard John calling him in his sleep, and had jumped up at the very moment that a rock fell. Had he not jumped out of the way, the rock would certainly have killed him. At the importunate urging of the brethren, John accepted the abbacy and guided their souls to salvation with loving zeal. He once heard a monk reproach him for being too verbose. He was not in the least angered, but was silent for an entire year, not uttering a single word until the brethren begged him to speak. He then began to instruct them with the wisdom with which God had endowed him. Once, 600 pilgrims came to Mount Sinai. At supper, they all noticed an agile young man dressed as a Jew who was serving at table and giving orders to other servants, taking charge of everything. Suddenly, he disappeared. While everyone was pondering this and asking questions about themselves, John said, Do not bother to look for him. That was the prophet Moses serving you in his own home. During that time that he was silent in his cave, John wrote many instructive books, of which the most famous, the latter, is much read today. It describes the way to raise the soul to God as if on a ladder. Before his death, John appointed his own brother George to the abbacy, but George began to grieve greatly at the approaching parting with John. Then John said that if he were found worthy to stand close to God in the next world, he would pray that George be taken up to heaven in the same year. And so it came to pass. After ten months, George also fell asleep and departed to take his place among the heaven citizens alongside his brother, John. So this all started when a 16-year-old boy went off to the monastery. Think of all of the saints. And I have in the books that I read, the Synaxarian, I have noticed, since I read them every day, I've gotten through the whole year and read it over and over again every year. I, I really enjoy reading it. That's why I pass it on to all of you. When I read these stories, I make a notation if that saint that I'm reading about happened to have been a saint of youth. Either they were converted then, or they were young and holy all their life. But I always mark if it has to do with someone who was a youth, especially if they did something great. Well, just going off to a monastery, leading an ascetical holy life is great in itself, especially by today's standards. And so I marked them down in the book, and I think I have over a hundred of them. So imagine how many young people are recorded as being great people of sanctity, and they did so when they were young. Many saints and many prophets. Prophet Jeremiah was very young. Think of Moses, King David. They all were very young when they came to fame, when they came to to great holiness. And so it is with saints of all centuries. Now, today, this Sunday, we look at another young saint, only this time it's a girl. You see how politically correct we are? We give equal time to a male ascetical saint and a female ascetical saint. We're actually not PC here. We're BC. We're Byzantine Catholic. We're biblically correct. But this saint is Saint Mary of Egypt, whose story we read during the fifth week of Lent at the great can of St. Andrew Crete. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about another young saint, a young lady, Saint Mary of Egypt. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now. 
by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life at earthlink.net. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're talking about youth, trying to have some faith in our youth. However, it's interesting, like our Lord says, that the light shines brighter in the darkness. And there is, yes, a lot of concern about our youth today because they are, well, they're inundated with so much temptation, overwhelming temptation. And it's so easy for them to be seduced by the ways of the world to fall away from the faith. And certainly they do. Hopefully they'll come back. Not all of them do. And this is where the light and the darkness comes in. Living at a time when youth are very, very tempted and very distracted in ways they probably never were before. However, at the same time, there is a tremendous amount of youth who are very serious about their faith. It's really quite inspiring. This is why many youth, especially, for instance, in the Latin rite, the Western Lung of the Church, youth are very interested in the traditions of the Church. In other words, in things like the traditional Latin Mass and of real piety. They're interested in bringing back some of the traditional devotions that may have been lost in the Latin Rite. Things like Eucharistic Adoration and Rosary and so on. This is admirable. In fact, I find it especially admirable when I come across youth like this, and I do come across them often, happy to say. When I come across them in this day and age, to see a young person who wants the real thing, who's serious about devotion, 
about theology, about faith and prayer and being a Christian, being on fire for Christ. When I see that in this day and age, that light does shine brighter. It really does. I look at them and I think to myself, I don't know how much time I have on this earth. I turned 68 last month. I have more years behind me than ahead of me. Every day is a grace, is a gift. I want to do what I can while I'm on this earth. But let's face it, it's going to be their world, their fight. And I look at these young people and I think to myself, are they up to it? But when I see people, these young people who are devout and serious about their faith, I think to myself, God bless them. They'll be up to it. They'll step up to the great battle that's ahead of them. Every generation battles evil. But let's be honest. I think we're seeing evil like we've never seen in human history. And these young people need our prayers. They need us to believe in them. Yes, many of them go the wrong way. Hopefully, it's only temporary. But there are many who are being very steadfast, and they're an inspiration, and we have to encourage them. And my my hat is off to them. But one of those that we can use for inspiration is put before us this day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It's St. Mary of Egypt, just like St. John Climacus that we talked about earlier. She, too, was a teenager, basically a teenage saint, although she wasn't proclaimed saint till much, much later. In other words, she, her sanctity grew over her many, many years when she went off into the desert. But her story is read while we pray the great can of St. Andrew of Crete during the fifth week of Lent. But her feast day is this Sunday. She was a young girl who was a prostitute, a very wild prostitute. When we read her story, it's really dramatic. It would make a great opera or a movie or a play or a musical or something. Every time I read it, it's really great, great dialogue, high drama, a lot of character development, a lot of mystery. It would make a marvelous, marvelous story. It's a riveting story where she is a prostitute and she sees these pilgrims. They're getting onto a boat. They're going to go to Jerusalem to make pilgrimage during Holy Week. And she wants to go with them. So she decides to get on the boat and goes with them. And she's trying to seduce all the men on the boat. She's just making spore them all. She was so good at seduction. She boasted about it. So the pilgrims finally get off the boat and they eventually get to Jerusalem. And they want to enter the Church of the Holy Resurrection, also called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's the church of the place where our Lord died, was buried, and he rose. And she tries to go in the door and something, some force prevents her. And she can't understand what's happening. She tries again and again. And she finally, she breaks down and she cries because all the pilgrims went in the church. She couldn't get in. She was kind of curious. So she looks up at the icon of the mother of God. She began to weep. And she actually asked the mother of God to help her. Mother of God sends her out in the desert. And she was there for the next several decades of her life. She went across the Jordan and she stayed there alone in asceticism and strict asceticism for the rest of her life. She hardly ate anything and she was actually, she didn't even wear clothes. Well, one day a monk found her, came upon her, and heard her story. And she tells him her story and then says to him, come back here a year from now with the Eucharist, because she hadn't had Eucharist. She had done severe penance for many years for her years of prostitution. Ate very little, lived in the desert in the hot sun. In fact, the icons depict her in a, in a very, very ascetical form, you know, kind of emaciated because of her strict suffering and strict abstinence and being out in the hot sun of the desert for years and years doing penance. So the priest, his name is Zosimus, comes back and brings her Holy Communion. He gives her Holy Communion and she says, come back here again, the same spot next year. So he did. Well, this time he found her dead and buried with a 
sign, a message written in the sand, that after she received Holy Communion, she passed on. And a lion actually helped to bury her. And this was something that the priest Zosimus discovered, and a lion buried her. And this is where the priest Zosimus, who had discovered Mary of Egypt, realized that she was a most special, special saint. In fact, he actually saw her walk on water. And this story is read, as I mentioned, during the fifth week of Lent on Thursday at the St. Andrew of Crete. And it's a marvelous story about redemption, about asceticism, about true repentance. But it starts with a young girl. So once again, we're saying here that we need to have faith in youth. Because, although sometimes they can be very frightening, <laughs> especially nowadays, because so oftentimes in salvation history, as we're seeing even with the story of St. Mary of Egypt, which is put before our eyes as a tradition during that week of Lent, that we have something marvelous happening from a young girl, once again, a youth. In the liturgical text, we say this about her, alienated at first from the divine contemplation because of the weight of the passions, you then turned your thoughts and deeds to the higher goods, meditating upon the icon of the most pure virgin, and henceforth turning yourself away from all sin. In faith, you venerated the precious cross. This also tells us about the power of icons. When Mary of Egypt could not enter into that church of the Holy Sepulchre of the Resurrection, whichever name you want to call it. It goes by both names. She was repelled back because of her sinfulness. But when she was finally able to enter, it was only after she prayed to that icon. And she prayed all night with tears of repentance before that icon, the Virgin Mary. And then miraculously, she was allowed back in. Just as mysteriously as she was not allowed in, she was allowed to enter into that Church of the Holy Sepulchre, after she had done that severe, deep, heartfelt, soul-level repentance before the icon of the Virgin Mary. Yes, we should have faith and be inspired by the lights in the darkness of our young people today. But many parents, and even pastors like myself, sometimes endure a lot of heartache when we see our children not follow through with the faith or leave it somehow some way for some reasons. So I would like to recommend something to parents, something that I believe I have discovered that might be the way to help our young people stay with the faith that many sincere parents are trying to raise them in. That is to ask this question of your children all the time. Check in with them and ask yourself, is this faith, this church thing, taking? Is it really taking? In other words, you have to do in a sense, almost like a little inquisition. You have to do some God talk with your children early on and along the way. You have to see if they really are developing this relationship with God. Are they really being touched by God? And can they articulate that? Do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it deep? Is it sincere? Is it real? This is what I think is the key So oftentimes I've scratched my own head as a pastor and wondered, what else could we have done with this child? The parents, myself as a pastor, religious education directors and teachers, youth coordinators, we all gave it our all, and yet the child goes astray. And you wonder, what could we have done? I think the key is making sure that this God thing, this faith thing, this church thing, this prayer thing is actually taking in their heart and in their soul. You could do that by checking in with them throughout their growing up years. And of course, above all, keep praying with them and keep praying for them. 
Let our youth be lights in this time of darkness. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Father Donald Calloway from the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. As we are in our season of Lent, let us remember that the Lord's love for us is everlasting, that he offers to us a time of grace, a time of prayer, a time of penance, a time of almsgiving, so that we can have transformed hearts, so that we can grow in virtue. Read the scriptures, be a little more devoted in your prayer life, and watch the change and transformation that happens in your heart. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.